The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, and welcome to Sox Machine's 2022 season preview episodes. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and over the next couple of weeks, we'll be previewing the Chicago White Sox 2022 season. We do this by taking a look at each position group, the infielders, the outfielders, the starting pitchers, and the relievers. What's different this year is that we are having these episodes both available on our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, but also available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine, where we have fun graphics that pair with our analysis that you'll be able to see soon for those watching on YouTube. In this episode, we are previewing the infielders, a strong group that has a new face joining them, taking over at second base with free free agent signing Josh Harrison now joining the fun. But there's some big questions. Can Yasmani Grandal and Jose Abreu continue to fight off age regression for another season? Is it possible for both Johan Mikata and Tim Anderson to elevate their game to new heights well help answer those questions and play some over unders with me as well is the managing editor of socksmachine.com it's jim margulis and hello jim uh with uh we got a brand new intro uh as far as the new live streams and the Very videos nice. that we'll be doing on youtube but enough with the lockout talk and the missed offseason opportunities for the white Sox. let's finally get in the meat of previewing the 2022 season And let's start with your thoughts on the overall state of the White Sox infield. When you look at the White Sox infielders, how do you feel about the overall unit? Uh, First of all, Michael Conforto. Just wanted to throw it out there since we have to meet a quota. (laughs) (laughs) Infield, which Michael Conforto does not play Michael Conforto. Um, This is a pretty fixed unit i think and um when looking at just the shape of the infield and discussing you know what the white Sox could do especially after they traded nick madrigal it seemed to me like that second base as much as they might be taking a step back based on what madrigal offered and and possibly could offer going forward 
it struck me as like a a luxury to have somebody like him versus a need just because the way i look at units you know outfield infield pitching staff etc is um if like say second base with the how strong the other infielders are if the second baseman is your worst infielder in this particular uh, situation when you have jose bray at first and tim anderson at short and you want cut at third that's not bad you know it's okay it's forgivable to have like a second baseman who's ordinary when your other three infielders have the possibility and track record of being above average. So in this case, it seems like they've, you know, done enough to ensure that the floor isn't going to be terrible at second base. And you hope that maybe you get lucky with a, you know, a great BABIP season for a Josh Harrison or a, um, you know, one of Larry Garcia's random hot streaks, you know, being more prevalent than not. And if they don't work out, I like Gilbert Sanchez, I think maybe more than other people do. Hmm. Uh, Romy Gonzalez, I think is, too new in his current state to really understand whether he's hit his ceiling and whether he's a utility infielder can actually maybe hold down a job as a worst player in a unit. Um, you know, that's, that's not necessarily a slag on him, just more a matter of uh, he only has to be like average to, to be an effective contributor for this infield. So I think that's a case where um, they have enough flexibility below deck to where even if like Josh Harrison, isn't Nick Madrigal, or Larry Garcia isn't magical, like, that can be fine. Mm -hmm. And when I look at the White Sox infield, I mean, it is possible you could have four all-stars within the White Sox infield. We know that Yasmani Grandal is one of the top catchers in Major League Baseball. We know that if Jose Abreu starts fast in the first half, that he gets a lot of love in as far as all-star voting to make the team Tim Anderson finally made his first all-star team last year, even though he didn't get an at-bat. He definitely remembers that. Um, but I think if he continues his stellar play, he's got an opportunity. And if Yoan Mikata can finally rediscover his 2019 form, we know that if he can, we're talking about someone who could have 15-plus homers, hitting above 300, playing stellar third-base defense. He'll get some love as well as far as the all-star voting. So... This unit, I do view as one of the strongest for the Chicago White Sox heading into the 2022 season. And let's start with Yasmani Grandal at the catcher position. And to remind everyone, his 2021 stats, he hit 240. He had an on-base percentage of 420, which it's been so long, Jim, since we've seen a White Sox hitter have an on-base percentage above 400. And then he slugged 520. So he had a 940 OPS last year, 23 homers, 62 RBIs, and Grandal had a 3.7 wins above replacement, according to fan graphs. And he did this in 94 games. Looking at his 2022 projections provided by Zips, and Zips has seen a little bit of a downfall. And I think a lot of this is just age regression for catchers in which Zips is projected a 235 batting average for Grandal with a 373 on base percentage and a 464 slugging percentage. That's still a very good on base percentage and slugging percentage for catchers with a uptick in home runs, 27 home runs, 81 RBIs, and a projected 4.9 wins above replacement, almost a five war projection. This is the 50th percentile projection for Yasmani Grandal. Big projections, Jim, for Grandal coming to the 2022 season. But as I mentioned, going 
over Grandal's 2021 numbers, he only played in 93 games for the 2021 White Sox, still put up monster numbers. Mm-hmm. So the big question coming into 2022 for Yasmani Grandal is managing the workload. And we've already heard from manager Tony La Russa that when Grandal is not catching, he wants Grandal in the lineup to be the designated hitter to try to keep that bat in the lineup because of his ability to draw walks and, of course, hit for power. So what are your expectations as far as Grandal's workload? And how many games is too many and might toast him come the mm-hmm. postseason? Or how many is too few? Well, you know, I guess the the weird thing about Grandal's experience so far in the White Sox is that um, when you look at the 2020 season being shortened to 60 games and then the 2021 season, uh, him being limited to 93 games. And then, you know, this looks like a full normal season, you know, knock on wood. Uh, but then like <laughs> next season, the, uh, theoretically his final season of, of his contract, they could be eliminating the shift. <laughs> so I think he could have like a pretty charmed experience for his contract when it comes to just like maximizing the value and softening the blow of a catcher aging into his mid thirties. And when he came to the white Sox, he had, let's see, one, two, six, six consecutive seasons of a hundred plus games. And the workload was only increasing. It went from 126 with the Dodgers in 2016 to 129 in 2017, and then 140 in 2018, and then 153 with the Brewers in 2019. Yeah. So when you look at that workload, um, I would say that he's probably been disappointed by how few games he's played, both because of world events and then because of his knee uh, surgeries. And it seems like based on what he's said and, and how he's been handled so far in the spring, that he's basically full speed ahead and that the knees aren't a concern anymore. And if they aren't, then I think the White Sox have more leeway than they would have if he had a normal first two years where he did get the chance to play 120 plus games and it it would come down to seeing if his body would let him Uh, in this case when you saw him play 93 games but look great both leading into the injuries and then immediately afterwards he was all world when it came to just his the effectiveness of his at bats I don't see any particular reason to baby him I would say like you know I think it makes sense to not play him day games after night games or not play him like you know uh, you know, I would say like, you know, if you have a double header, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, try to cram in like five games in four days. Like, I, I think there is a, a reasonable expectation for just exactly, you know, what he should be able to accomplish. But if he played 120 games, uh, I would consider, I would say like 120 games behind the plates with like a sprinkling of DH appearances here and there. Like, I, I think that'd be fine, uh, assuming that he didn't need any injured list stints along, you know, with that, because Basically, when he's been on the field, he's been great. And there's been no real uh, reason looking at his data to suggest like that he's like fending off father time. Maybe that's next year after a full season. Uh, but right now, I think he's as rested as you're going to see a Yasmani Grandal possibly be. Yeah, looking at the 2021 White Sox defensive breakdown. And when you look at the catcher position for the Chicago White Sox, Grandal did lead 2021 White Sox catchers and starts behind home plate at 80 games. Zach Collins was second at 73 games, followed by Sebi Zavala at 33 games. And your Mercedes even got a couple of games behind home plate 
for the White Sox in 2021. But when Grandal was hurt and he was away, we saw on how, you know, Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala both got some time to be the starting catchers for the White Sox. And I remember the conversations going from, well, Sebi Zavala looks better behind home plate than Zach Collins because Zavala can frame. And then you see a ball in the dirt and it kicks away from Zavala. And then the conversation is, well, at least Zach Collins could block somewhat. And then you see Collins continue to not get the strike on the outside corner or lower part of the strike zone. And it just made me miss Yasmani Grandal so much, Jim, in 2021. So when you say 120 games behind a home plate for Yasmani Grandal, that does warm my heart. Uh, because the limiting the amount of games that we see either from Zach Collins or Sebi Zavala behind home plate, I will only view that as a good thing. I think ultimately it would have been nice if Rick Khan found Tony La Russa a dependable veteran catcher who might have been re- really solid on defense and had no bat. But at least you can put them ninth in the lineup and they'll be able to take care of the White Sox pitching staff and be a solid framer and be able to block pitches in the dirt and then be comfortable having Grandal still be your DH. But in the games, Jim, that Grandal is DHing, it's just going to be a big sigh for me and a concern. Can Collins or Zavala or whoever's the White Sox backup catcher for 2022 doesn't screw it up for that pitcher? Yeah, it's kind of funny when we talk about backups or bench players, you often have the conversation like, if only we could combine these guys, they would be an above average <laughs> player. Like, you know, the original in my experience was uh, Yolmer, then Carlos Sanchez, and Micah Johnson. Like if you could yeah. have, you know, the, the defense of Sanchez and the offense of Johnson, you'd have something. Or like Adam Engel and Gavin Sheets. Like if you could have Adam Engel's defense and speed with Sheets's uh ability to you know control the plate and lift for power from left side like that'd be a starter in this case if you combine Zavala and Collins you'd still have a below average catcher I think <laughs> so I think even though they're lefty and righty just like just there isn't a working mix among their skills so yeah it's tough and you know we saw this last year with Jonathan Lucroy and with uh, just the, the the catching competition they had and ultimately Collins won out and I'm looking to see if Lucroy surfaced anywhere I think he surfaced with the Braves I want to say Hmm. Um, but not, yeah, with the Braves a little bit. He only played seven games between the Braves and Nationals. So the White Sox, you know, whatever the White Sox might have missed, other teams didn't pick up on it, and, and maybe Luke Roy just didn't have it anymore. So they probably went with the right guy or guys out of the gate, but I think, you know, given that they've seen Collins and Zavala for a full year or a full year in a backup catcher's capacities, I wonder if it's more open than it was last year and that you could see like Carlos Perez or even like Nick Shufo is in there as a defense first catcher, like possibly uh, work their way into the mix here uh, as playable options, just because we, I think we saw, you know, I, I think if it's down to, you know, one to two starts a week based on the schedule, then I, I don't think it really matters who catches, you know, maybe mm-hmm. just pick a, a pitcher likes working that catcher and say, you know, have fun, go nuts, et cetera. But I think, you know, should it come to an emergency situation or Grandal needs an injured list stint, then I think it could be open just because, you know, it, it was pretty dicey, I think, behind the plate. And I don't think, uh, yeah, we, we saw, um, you know, La Russa 
get into Zavala a little bit uh, publicly mm-hmm. about his Toronto, uh, you know, his his, his pitch calling, um, and and we we saw him criticize in a way that we haven't seen players criticized by Larusa publicly. So I think there was some frustration there. We saw the White Sox send Zach, Coll- Zach Collins down at the end of August in order to preserve an option. So I think that's a way to say. We like having him around. You know, he's, he's nice as a third catcher, but we're not sold on him. And I think right now the White Sox have about like four third catchers behind Yasmani Grandal. And so it's the case where if Perez shows the ability to um, develop some other skill along with the power that he showed last year. Um, and I think receiving is really the biggest thing for Perez. Or if Shufo just he's a good enough catch and throw guy and receive guy behind the plate to where if he hits 200 or 190 or what have you, it doesn't really matter too much with this offense. Maybe they're like the skills they have are enough to break the tie. It's it, this could be, I'm surprised by how stable the catching situation has been given how many catchers they've carried. It seems like at any point, like Mercedes or Zavala or Collins, that could have fallen off the, the 40 man roster for somebody else, but they've all hung around. This could maybe be the year where you do see some upheaval. All right, so with Grandal, let's play over-under. So I've got categories for each of the infielders. So you got to pick over-under. And I'm going with on-base percentage for Yasmani Grandal. He had a 420 on-base percentage last year. And I'm putting the over-under at .3995. And I'm doing that because when you pick up the newspaper or you go to your favorite sites to look up stats, they will round that number up. So are you going over or under that on-base percentage, Jim? I'm going to say over. All right, another 400 OBP season for Yasmani Grandal. Why are you going over? I think based on just the display he had last year, he just might be, um, yeah, I guess growing to the point where he's just mastered the strike zone. And even if like his bat slows down a little bit, even if, um, you know, just whatever reason he just isn't as effective when he does make contact, there were reasons not to throw him strikes last year, especially in the first half. And he still drew walks. Like, you know, there were stretches where he wasn't dangerous. He looked off as there was a documentable, um, issue with his knees to where like, you know, pitchers had maybe reasons to be suspicious about how effective he might be and maybe attack him a little bit more. And, Either they just couldn't, or the way pitchers are wired to throw in um, in, in 2021 means like they throw a lot of spinning stuff that dives out of the zone, and the count on hitters bailing them out or doing them favors because it just comes uh, you know faster and with more sharp movement than ever before. So maybe you know Grandal just you know more or less spits at that, like he just recognizes spin so well to where that method of pitching doesn't do as much for him. Or, or do as much against him as it does for other hitters. So I'm going to say like he can, he can work out another 400 OBP season. You know, maybe not again. You know, maybe this is just like one of those weird, uh, like Paul Konerko 30 something Renaissance to where all of a sudden they look like they're just when they get into the batter's box, they're in the master of that that area between the chalk and or maybe on top of the chalk, given that they 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 swipe out the back half of it but i think uh that's a case where just he looked that comfortable last year to where i think he can maybe get one more year out of this kind of god mode that he's in just recognizing pitches well we have been harping for the white Sox to improve the team on base percentage and it just feels like at times yasmani grandal has been carrying that load on his shoulders it'd be awesome if he does hit the over 
in the 2022 season on on base percentage and it's another plus 400 on base season for Yasmani Grandal. And to pair it with the power, I mean, if he reaches those Zips projections, which I think he could, mm-hmm. uh, if he plays more than 100 games, 27 homers, 81 RBIs, and we know that the defensive metrics, they love Yasmani Grandal, especially in the framing part. If he's got a five-plus war season in him in 2022, he might get some uh, consideration to be a top 10 American League MVP vote-getter. Uh, for this upcoming season. So we'll see. Uh, we don't put the cart before the horse. But speaking of MVPs, let's talk about the 2020 American League MVP. And that is Jose oh, Abreu. Wait, wait a second. Did you give your over-under for Grandal? Oh, okay. Uh, so for me, yeah, I'll, I'll go over. I'll say 405. I don't know if he's going to get quite to 420. Mm-hmm. But 405, that's what I'll go with. So there you go. I Jim's got over. I got over on the on-base percentage for Yasmati Grandal. All right, so let's talk about the 2020 American League MVP, and that is Jose Abreu. In 2021, Abreu, again, another 30-home run over 100 RBI season. He had 117 RBIs for the White Sox last year. The batting average dipped. He hit 261. He still had a really solid on-base percentage. He was at 351. And he slugged 481. Abreu for a while, it took a while for him to get started. And he was having some trouble, especially against two-seam fastballs. But August came, and he erupted in a big way. And he finished just shy of having a three-war season. He was at 2.9 war. Going into 2022, Zips is projecting another big home run in RBI season from Abreu projecting 29 home runs and 118 RBIs with a slash line of a 264 on base uh, batting average. But the on-base percentage dips 20 points at 331, and the slugging is right around where he was in 2021 at 475, and Zips is projecting uh, a little decrease in the wins above replacement at 2.3 war for Jose Abreu. And when it comes to Jose Abreu, this is the last year of his contract with the Chicago White Sox, his second contract with the White Sox. He's already been asked this question at spring training. His teammates have already talked about it as well, that they really want to win a World Series, not just for themselves, but they really want to win a world championship for Jose Abreu through everything he has had to go through since he's joined the White Sox in 2014 to go through 2016 and then go through the rebuild and finally get an opportunity to play in some postseason games for the White Sox, but only has two postseason victories to show for it. You could really tell Jim that his teammates really want to, they want to win a world championship so they can get the ring, but mm-hmm. they really want to win for Jose Abreu this season because nobody really knows what's next other than everybody understands that this is a business. And after seeing Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers, it's not a sure thing that Jose Abreu is back with the White Sox after 2022. So I pose this question to you is 2022, the last dance with the White Sox for Jose Abreu. The rhetoric is certainly different. Um, last time he was a free agent or you know, on the cusp of it, I don't know if he ever really was a free agent, he basically said that he was going to sign with the White Sox. And if the White Sox didn't offer him a contract, he would sign himself. He was very adamant about it happening. 
Uh, Rick Hahn basically said like, oh, we're going to work something out and, and more or less signaled or, or implied that Jerry Reinsdorf was going to mandate it for him. And then sure enough, after it happened, he said like, this isn't the way that negotiations would normally be taught with uh, Reinsdorf saying we're going to sign him or basically mandating it. And Abreu <laughs> saying he's going to sign himself and just uh, ultimately right. it worked out this time around. He is a lot more open-ended about his future. And I'm not sure if it's because he's older and, you feel the wear and tear a little bit more. You feel like maybe you're not as fresh at the end of the season. Maybe you just got hit by 20-something pitches, a, a new high in that regard. So maybe the bruises were maybe a little bit fresh. <laughs> and so that's just uh, something he's aware of. Maybe it's something with Andrew Vaughn being an heir apparent at first base. Maybe you know, looking at the corner situations with you know, Jimenez and Colas you know, being a possibility, Cespedes being a possibility, and saying like, no, oh, they're – there might not be room for me, like an, an old bag of bones like me to have this roster. Uh, I might see it as a favor, and, and this might not be the best fit for me. And if he is as loyal to the White Sox as he you know, says he is and as you know, everything indicates he is, that, that's not saying he's a liar. It's more of a case like uh, the way it manifested itself last time was saying, I'm going to sign with the White Sox no matter what. This time around, it could be just like, though uh, I'm not the best thing for the White Sox anymore, given where they are. And if they find other places to put that, you know, 15 plus million, I don't blame them. You know, maybe that's the case where that's how he's talking about it. Or maybe, you know, he's one of those players who, um, you know, as he gets into this age is just more, um, you know, content to leave it open-ended. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's less about baseball, more about family. You never know if his priorities shift a little bit to where just he wants to, you know, keep everything, you keep, keep all options on the table. So I could see it, you know, working out differently, but this is a case where, yeah, it is different. And uh, it, it's possible it's just for one reason or another that uh, the White Sox might have to move on. Um, and also when you look at just all the contract extensions signed and the young players coming up, like uh, I think he's done all he can as like a front office assistant players, uh, teaching players the ropes, um, you know, being a reason why guys come to the White Sox and uh, somebody they point to, the whole uh, master splinter thing. I think he's he served that purpose and can pass the torch a little bit. This is how I feel about the whole Jose Abreu situation. It really depends on how well Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn hit. Yeah, I forgot to man I mentioned Sheets. He's another guy who adds to that depth. Yeah, because for Sheets, if it is true that he can't hit left-handed pitching at all this is a platoon bat the good news is in the american league 68 percent of the starting pitchers in the league are right-handed so gavin sheets is still going to get a lot of starts with the white Sox in the next couple of years if he is still part of the white Sox, if he's not traded for another piece whether that's at dh first base or god forbid in the right field and yeah, Andrew Vaughn, when the White Sox drafted Andrew Vaughn, we all said that, all right, he's going to be the next great first baseman for the White Sox to take on the torch because we've seen this path. We saw Frank Thomas and then Paul Canerco and Jose Abreu. White Sox fans, we've been very spoiled having excellent first basemen over, oh my gosh, almost three decades now, speaking in Hawk Harrelson terms. Uh, in parts of three decades, and it's been an incredible run. This however, is the fourth decade, fourth decade. Uh, however, Jim, <laughs> we're old. If, if Andrew Vaughn hits like 230 with a 300 on base percentage and barely slugs over 400 because he can't hit right handed pitching, 
And if Gavin Sheet struggles at all in this upcoming season, uh, and we don't see the type of power that we saw in 2021, I don't know how the White Sox don't bring back Jose Abreu. Like, while it is not a sure thing that Abreu is coming back in 2023, I still feel like if they are part of this contention window, we need to see Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets hit well enough to suggest that, yes, it is okay if the White Sox move on from Jose Abreu, pay Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets $700,000, the league minimum, because they're not arbitration yet, to go play first base, take the $15 million savings from Jose Abreu, and apply it to the bullpen. I'm kidding. Uh, kind of. <laughs> but that that's just how I feel about the whole last stand situation with Jose Abreu. I think he's still, I think he's going to beat these numbers. And we're going to talk about that in a moment and over under uh, as far as his projections. I think we're going to see another big home run and a big RBI season. I literally have money on Jose Abreu to lead the majors in RBIs again. If, if the White Sox are to move on from him, we need to see it in 2022 from Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets that they are ready to take that mantle. Yeah, I could see it being a case where if it is that uncertain situation where neither Vaughn nor Sheets proves uh, himself and Abreu has another great Jose Abreu season, you know, maybe it's a case where, hey, you want to do another year? Yeah, 15 million. Yeah. Great. You know, just like it could be that casual or that relaxed, you know, given the comfort between the two parties to where they're just kind of an ongoing mutual option situation to where like both sides have to agree to play for a certain figure. But I, I guess I had described every single contract, for, but in this case where just, it's more of a recurring briefer conversation that does not involve the rest of the league. All right. So over under for Jose Abreu. And I mentioned that I literally have money on this <laughs> for Jose Abreu. Uh, his over under is 110 and a half RBIs. Now, obviously you can't finish with half an RBI. Mm -hmm. So it's over or under 110 RBIs. And I'm going to start and I'm going over. I think Abreu in this lineup, especially if Tony La Russa has Luis Robert hitting in front of Jose Abreu. And I am incredibly high on Luis Robert this upcoming season. I think Abreu's got a chance at 120 RBIs in 2022. What say you, Jim? Are you going over or under 110 and a half RBIs? I'm going under uh, for reasons both good and bad. Like it's it's not necessarily uh, not buying him. I will say that the you know his, the way he's talking makes me think like he's feeling the bruises a little bit more. And if he has another heavy HBP season, then I could see like maybe him taking an injured list that he normally doesn't take, except for like groin related. Uh, misfortune oh, <laughs> a few years ago poor guy uh, testicular trauma etc uh but when it comes to like just the, the 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 aches and pains he took i can see that maybe wearing him a little bit i could also see like the depth being there to where like he doesn't need to feel like he needs to soldier through an injury that he doesn't want to play for you know through should like there will be more bats than spots between Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets and, you know, maybe some outfielder coming up who might be great. Um, so there's that. I could also see like a case where, you know, the White Sox historically have not had a whole lot of home runs hit in the first and second spots. Last year, they were in the bottom half in both. And say if like Luis Roberts is batting first or second and he has the season that we think he can have. 
Or if Tim Anderson stays healthy, you know, he, he doesn't get uh, that kind of nagging injury that that saps his power and his, his his dynamic play a little bit, and he breaks 20 homers. I could see like the bases being clear in front of him a little bit more often this year, uh, for the good reasons, <laughs> because of low OBP, but just because there's a little bit more pop in front of him to where like he doesn't have the the on-base presence of like Larry Garcia, who has a below average on-base percentage, but never drives himself in, or so seldom drives himself in, and runs the bases well enough where he scores on a Braves watch. Same thing with Anderson, like when he's not hitting homers, still getting on base, but somebody else needs to score him, and a Braves been that guy. Like maybe uh, between Anderson and and Robert, if they're hitting one two, and maybe Moncada hits two, and and you know he, his power returns, like there just might be more homers in front of him to where like the the easy RBI opportunities aren't there as often he has to do more of the uh, scoring himself hmm. so do you think he'll get over 100 i think so I, I think that's the case where i would not bet against that okay got it so you're in between 100 and 109 rbis for jose abreu i think so yeah that's kind of how i feel like 110 just given the lineup given just the uh and and you know, maybe if he weren't uh as i guess um you know I guess, introspective about mm-hmm. the state. And if you were saying like, I'm playing here no matter what, then maybe would say, okay, that's a guy that's going to, uh, you know, get 120 RBIs, hell or high water, no matter how many gr- double plays he grounds into. But <laughs> this year maybe he thinks that like, maybe there's a little bit more, maybe he'll be a little bit more amenable to load management. Got it. Okay. Well, he's going to hit more than 120 RBIs because I'm going to win that bet. And I'm going to come down to Nashville and I'm going to enjoy some barbecue with Jim. Thanks to Jose. Hot chicken. Barbecue here is meh. Okay. It would be hot, the hot chicken. chicken. Hot chicken. All right. Jim and I will continue previewing the 2022 Chicago White Sox infielders after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Let's talk about the new guy, 
Josh Harrison, as the White Sox signed him to the Adam Eaton contract of 2022, a one-year deal for $5.5 million and a buyout for the 2023 season, unless he really performs and the White Sox could pick up that club option for 2023. Uh, But we are assuming that the White Sox are going to pay him $1.5 million after the season to buy him out and explore other possibilities at second base for 2023. But that is next year's podcast to worry about. Let's worry about Josh Harrison in 2022 as he split time between the Washington Nationals and the Oakland Athletics in 2021. He hit 279 with a 341 on base percentage and he slugged 400. Josh Harrison had eight home runs and 60 RBIs and was worth one and a half wins above replacement. The Zips projections for 2022 are not pretty for Josh Harrison. Zips is projecting a 256 batting average a 314 on base percentage and slugging just 360 with five home runs and 38 RBIs and worth 0.7 wins above replacement. Those are not pretty projections, Jim. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to Josh Harrison, and we'll talk about Lurie Garcia in a moment, the question that I have is, is Josh Harrison the everyday option or the primary option at second base? to start 2022 for the White Sox? I would say primary option, not everyday option. I think, you know, Garcia complements Harrison well enough. Like, I think they're both kind of similar players in that they're more valuable for multi-position ability and bat-to-ball ability, like making things happen uh, versus like being sustainably good or being, um, you know, a case where just you feel good about them starting 130 games. And so I think you're going to see Harrison be the primary starter because having Garcia as a pinch runner, having him as a backup outfielder, especially like say if Adam Engel is, uh, you know, on the injury list to start the season, uh, I think he's more valuable, you know, being flexed off the bench. And so Harrison will start when he can. Um, But I can see like a 60, 40 type mix uh, there roughly to start the season. All right. So with that mix, Let's go in the over-under then for Josh Harrison. I'm putting the over-under at 100-and-a-half hits for the season. And I'm doing this, Jim, because I've got a feeling that Harrison's going to start more than 110 games at second base for the White Sox. Lurie Garcia will get to his over-under in a moment. But looking at last year, Cesar Hernandez and Nick Madrigal tied for starts at second base for the White Sox. Both appeared at second base for 53 games. Neither guy is with the team anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you got Lurie Garcia, who made 36 starts at second base. And Danny Mendick also got a little bit of run at second base. He appeared at 28 games for the White Sox at second base in 2021. I've got a feeling if Harrison can stay healthy and the good vibes are flowing, that I think Harrison's going to make 110 plus starts with the White Sox at second base and putting the over under at a hundred and a half hits. I think he's going to get an opportunity to get that many hits in this season. So you're going to go over and have some confidence in Harrison to have a bounce back type of season with the White Sox. Or are you going under? And this is just another dreadful one year contract that Rick Hahn signed. I'm going under for that reason. Nothing against Harrison personally. Like I think, you know, it, it's his season strikes me as kind of a coin toss. Like if he's healthy, his bat to ball abilities are good enough to where like he can scratch together like a decent average season and, and filling that role as the worst infielder in this um, 
you know, in, in this infield and, and that being no fault of his own, no insult. Uh, but I think when I look at just kind of the, the shape of the position, I think there are enough interesting options behind Harrison uh, with Yolbert Sanchez, with Romy Gonzalez, with even like Jose Rodriguez, if he makes another kind of drastic uh, push upwards to where like maybe he gets starts at the end of the year if he just looks like too uh, too good or too um, too much of a force in the high minors. And I could see them being enough, there being enough like capable options to where they don't have to stick with Harrison if he's not working out. And so that's why I'm just thinking, given Rick Hahn's track record, given the lack of ambition for solving the position, and that given that Garcia is often good enough uh, to play stretches at a time, like I can see them, if Harrison's not working out, I can see them not pushing it or not trying to force it to make it happen. Yeah. If Harrison, I'm going to go under as well. Even if he makes the amount of starts that I think he can make in 2022, that's a lot of hits in in a very few games. So I'm I'm gonna go under on the 100 and a half hits for Josh Harrison. Now we mentioned Louis Garcia, and I am before Josh Harrison signed Jim. I was assuming Louis Garcia was gonna be the White Sox primary second baseman. We all know about his huge home run in Game 3 of the American League Division Series against the Houston Astros. Garcia last year hit 267 with a 335 on base percentage. That's pretty good for a utility guy, a, a bench bat. Slug 376. He only hit five home runs. He had 54 RBIs. However, because of his versatility and playing all over the diamond and for the amount of games that he played last year, Garcia did reach the two-war total. It's one of his best seasons of his career. In 2022, Zips is projecting a drop-off, with Garcia hitting 260 with a 310 on base percentage, slugging 370 with six home runs, 35 RBIs, and a 0.6 wins above replacement type of season. We're going to go straight into the over-under for Garcia because I'm expecting him to get starts at... He, he's probably your opening day starting shortstop because Tim Anderson is suspended. We know he'll get some starts at second base, and I'm sure we're going to see him in the outfield. Over-under, 100-and-a-half games played by Lurie Garcia in 2022, Jim. I'm going to say over just because Tony Larusa loves himself a utility guy. Uh, with the Cardinals, he had the kind of Larry type with Aaron Miles and Skip Schumacher. And I remember Cardinals fans saying, like, why do these guys play so much? And LaRusso saying, like, uh, you know, his typical defiant self saying uh, that, uh, you know, these are my guys. And he, and, and he loved Joe McEwing, too, back when uh, McEwing was a player. So, yeah, he just he loves uh, somebody who will play wherever, whenever, happily. And I think uh, Garcia is that guy for him here. Yeah, Garcia played 126 games. I'm also going over. I, I could already hear the screams <laughs> from White Sox fans who do not want to see Garcia play that often because it would suggest that there are some injuries for the White Sox on that front. But we've also seen Garcia get hurt himself. Uh, he's no stranger to the injured list with the hamstring pull. So we'll see if he can stay healthy, but I am expecting Garcia to play all over the place again for the 2022 White Sox, including in the infield, getting some spot starts at second base. And again, he's probably your opening day shortstop because Tim Anderson is suspended. And what a segue going to Tim Anderson, the White Sox shortstop. 
In 2021, Tim Anderson once again hit above 300. He had a 309 batting average. Again, he doesn't walk a lot, so his on-base percentage was only 338. But Anderson did slug 469 as he had 17 home runs and 61 RBIs. He was focusing more at getting the ball in play and not necessarily home runs in 2021. And Anderson had one of his best seasons of his career, a 4.3 wins above replacement season for Anderson, which is excellent. In 2022, Zips is projecting a 296 batting average, a 325 on base percentage, a slugging percentage of 464. Zips, though, is projecting a significant home run increase from Anderson, 23 home runs, 70 RBIs, and not that big of a dip for wins above replacement at 3.7 war. But when it comes to Anderson and projection models, Jim, we have seen it over the last few years that the projection models, the computers, they don't know what to make of Tim Anderson. They're starting to catch up mm-hmm. to Anderson because they think that the BAB up, the batting average in balls in play is fluky, but Anderson continues to beat the models and prove that it is not a fluke for him to carry a 350 plus BAB up for an entire season. And obviously there's a lot of attention in the American League Central now with Carlos Correa within the division. And Tim Anderson wanted to get more respect on his name, that he is one of the best shortstops in baseball, and he's trying to prove that on the field. So going into 2022, can we see another four-plus war season from Tim Anderson? I think so because, you know, we, we've seen the, you know, the, the projections catch up to his his contact abilities, his hit tool. I think there's probably some growth in his defense that isn't being factored in. Like his playmaking has gotten a lot better. Like whatever he sacrificed in terms of range and, and whether that's just, uh, you know, getting a bit older and losing some of that top end athleticism or um, just being better at executing, you know, whatever strides he's made to improve his mechanics within his range, maybe, you know, makes it harder for him to complete, you know, the, the kind of uh, looser plays going into the hole or going behind second base. But I think like his playmaking on place, he should make the, you know, I guess like the 80% plays. Those I think are a lot smoother than they have been. He's a lot more reliable. The error count is down. Mm -hmm. And I think that's enough to kind of buoy his value as a shortstop who can, you know, hit over 300 and score so many runs and, and, you know, have the occasional pop and steal the occasional base to where, you know, if he plays, you know, and and we talked about this before and we reviewed his season, like the only knock on him really was the injury that knocks him out. You know, it causes him missed 40 or so games. Um, you know, that's happened in the last uh, two full seasons he's played where he's played 123 games. Like if he can get over like 140, you know, you can forgive like a guy who's that active in the field, like the occasional, you know, getting banged up or what have you just, you know, the occasional tweak. But if you can tell even 140 games, I think he's a four win player pretty easily. He might be a five war player. Yeah. If he gets to 140 games. Like I think, yeah, I think he could round up to five, if not clear it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's amazing for Tim Anderson and just how he's risen with the White Sox. Because we've seen him and we've seen his path ever since he got drafted by the White Sox and really captured people's imagination with the type of season he had double A in Birmingham that, wow, this guy's stealing 50-plus bases. Like, this is a future leadoff hitter. And we saw him in 2016, and he had flashes. And then we saw 
you know, his sophomore slump in 2017. And rightfully so, we learned later that season that what was hailing him is losing his best friend uh, who got murdered. And since then, Anderson has really picked up his game and it started with his breakout 2019 season. Anderson, for a little bit in 2020, was part of the MVP conversation uh, as the season was rolling into September uh, for the Chicago White Sox. And then he puts up another terrific season in 2021. I, I know that he was trying to choose more contact than power because Anderson wants to get on base and be on the bases for Abreu. And that makes total sense. But I still believe that Anderson, with his swing and his ability to understand what pitches he could drive, Jim, I think Anderson could hit 25-plus home runs in a season at the leadoff spot. And I would like to see him try to hit for more power. And if he hits 305 because he's trying to hit for more power, that's fine. If he's slugging 500, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, he's going to be a five more shortstop. And it just makes the White Sox lineup that much more dangerous. I, I don't think Tim Anderson's ever going to be a 30 stolen base type of guy. If he gets between 15 to 20, I think that's fine. But I, I think the big number for me is that if he can get to 25 homers and he can get to like 30 or 35 doubles, that's the type of extra base production for the top of the lineup that will make it a lot easier for Anderson to score with Robert and Abreu and Grandal and Jimenez coming up into the lineup and Anderson can score 110 plus runs in a season. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I guess let's just get in the over under because that, that's kind of where I'm going with this. Now I want to tip the, uh, <laughs> tip the discussion. All right. So the over under that we have for Tim Anderson is his batting average Three ten and a half, so point three one zero five. Again, that last number will roll over, will roll up, or roll down. Are you going over or under three ten batting average, Jim, for Tim Anderson in two thousand twenty two? This was a tough one. I, I commend you on a, on a good line here because I, I've gone back and forth. Even like in the last couple of minutes, I've been going back and forth. Am I sure about this? Because it feels dumb to bet against Tim Anderson just mm-hmm. because you keep doing it and we've criticized the projection systems for not catching up. But I'm going to say under, but only because I think he taps into a little bit more power and there's a little bit of a trade-off, but ultimately it gets like the OPS and, and, and you know maybe it's a bit more dangerous too. The OBP goes a little bit up and he ends up in the same neighborhood uh, where he you know has been with an 800 plus OPS, just in a little bit of a different way. Yeah, even his OPS plus and weighted runs created plus, right? He's like a 115 to 120 type of hitter, which suggests that he's 15 to 20% better than league average. I'm also going under, but I'm going above 300. I like the 305 number. I think that's where Tim Anderson is. And also Zips thinks that Tim Anderson is going to lead the league in hits. So if Zips is right, Jim, we're going to be wrong. (laughs) It's over under. Because uh, we know Trey Turner has been up there as well, uh, being the the hits king, uh, leading the league in hits. And that surprised me looking at the Zips depth chart projections on Fangraphs.com. Zips like t- likes Tim Anderson to lead the majors in hits. So if that happens, I'm sure his batting average is going to be above 310. We'll have egg on our face. 
who knows, maybe he'll hit 325 and still hit 25 home yeah, runs. That, that's what I'm thinking. I think we've set <laughs> ourselves up nicely to be, if he uh, you know, is looking for bulletin board material, like for, for him to prove us wrong, he has to hit over 310 while hitting 20 something homers and slugging. <laughs> would you make a slugging percentage basically like, you know, closer to 550 than 500. So I think uh, if he wants to uh, prove us wrong, then yes, absolutely. I, I enjoy uh, what we've cornered him into doing. If he does that, Jim, Carlos Correa, who, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. that would be, that would be an amazing season for Tim Anderson. All right, so let's talk about the last infielder that we're going to be previewing for the 2022 season, and that is the hot corner for the Chicago White Sox, and that is Yohan Makata at third base. In 2021, Yohan Makata hit 263. His on-base percentage was very good, 375. Slugging percentage, lacking, 412. Makata hit only 14 home runs and only had 61 RBIs. He did have 33 doubles, though in 2021 however because of his ability to get on base consistently for the white Sox and his outstanding defense at third Mikado was a four and a half war player for the white Sox in 2021 even though the power numbers were a bit lacking in 2022 zips is projecting a 260 batting average a dip in the on base percentage to 346 but an increase in slugging at 445 And Zips is expecting the home run total to pick up. It's projecting 22 home runs from Mikata at third base with 74 RBIs and at a 3.8 war season. Again, this is the 50th percentile projection. There are forecasts at 60, 70, 80, 90 that project even higher war totals for Yohan Mikata in 2022. But Jim, we talked about it in his podcast episode for the 2021 season review. It is the most pressing question for Yohan Makata coming into 2022. Are we going to see more power from Yohan Makata? I think so. Um, it, it's another tough question just because, um, you know, because of the unprecedented situation he's, uh, you know, he's in where, you know, COVID is new, like this, this kind of illness, you know, maybe like Valley fever uh, was kind of the rare case you'd see with baseball players. Like I'm thinking like Connor Jackson was one where just, Got, or, yeah, I think it was Connor Jackson, who had Valley Fever and just never quite bounced back from that illness. And and uh, it, it's kind of a similar case here. And and so the thing about Mankata is there's a tendency, I think, or at least I have the urge to say, like, he could put it all together because one of the benefits of, I guess, a silver lining of this COVID situation is that he's been able to improve the skills around it, like he's become better at third base. Like he's been, mm-hmm. a, the, the reps at third base have made him a better defender. Uh, the inability to drive pitches the way he did in 2019, that made him maybe a little bit more patient at the plate. Like, well, he couldn't attack pitches the way he did, but he's he, he's gotten back to having successful long at bats and getting on base that way. So theoretically, like at, at various points in his career, he's done everything. Like he's run a little bit. He's hit for some big power. He's hit righties a ton. He's hit lefties enough. He's played above average defense and he's drawn walks. So theoretically, like he's got this skill set to where like, oh, he could be like a seven win player if all these things come mm-hmm. together. However, given the nature of his, you know, the, the reason why he's had a down last couple of years and given that he has a tendency to get banged up here and there and given just how frustrating 
Well, I guess how frustrated White Sox fans are, and given how divisive he is among White Sox fans and White Sox Twitter, et cetera, for having a, a guy who has a very high floor and a guy you like having lineup no matter what shape he he takes. Like, I don't want to saddle him with those expectations and say, like, this is a monster season. And then when he turns in like a three plus win season and you know hits you know 20 homers and steals 10 bases and and you know just you know slugs around 450, everybody's disappointed and says, like, oh, he's not that good. So like yeah. I, I I I guess I want to keep expectations in check, but the elements are there, you know, like for him to have that kind of big all-star season. And so like, I think uh, I'm, I'm bullish on the power. Maybe he won't be like the 30, 30 guy that like his prospect status said, like he might be, but I think, you know, he was effective enough against righties to where like if his bat speed improves just a little bit, like he can, he can crank out homers to right. He can take advantage of uh, guaranteed right fields dimensions. He can have like, even if it's a home aided, uh, slugging percentage like he can have that big iso tick upwards to where like that power is good enough for what we thought he uh, could have been like I would say somewhere in between his 2018 and 2019 and, and and you know more or less put the COVID specific reasons for concerns behind him let's go into the over under because for Yohan Makata and I'll, I'll start here I'm going to go over we saw him last year get 48 extra base hits, 33 doubles, a triple, and 14 home runs. And Zips is projecting right around this total. I think Yohan Makata... 46 and a half. I'm not sure if you said the total. Yeah, the over-under, excuse me, yeah, for our podcast listeners, the over-under for Yohan Makata is 46 and a half extra base hits. And I am going to go over. I think Yohan Makata has the potential to easily get 50, maybe 60 extra base hits in a season. What Mikata really needs to focus on is making better and more contact against four-seam fastballs. And it is a concern that I have for Yohan Mikata. We talked about this in great length with the 2021 season review. In the early games, this is what I'm going to be pulling the stat cast data on for Mikata especially that first series against Detroit and then going into the home series is how is Mikata faring against the fastball? Because Jim, if Yohan Mikata can find as far as the sequencing, if he can pick up the pitches coming out of the pitcher's hand more frequently, understanding that velocity is coming at me instead of waiting back a half second longer, or maybe just we're talking milliseconds here. But it just seems too often in 2021 that Mikata was late with the fastball and not mm-hmm. taking advantage of that opportunity. I believe that if Mikata changes his thinking in 2021 and he's more aggressive against four seamers and he swings more often early in the count, he can have the ability to put up monster numbers. However, if he's still going to be passive, if he's looking to still drive up the pitch count, I still think he's going to be a four-war type of hitter. He's going to have a high on-base percentage, but he's going to struggle in the slugging department. And I think he's going to slug below 425 again if he continues his method of 2021 hitting. I want to see an adjustment from Mikata, and I want to see him be more aggressive against the four-seam fastball. So I am speaking this into existence, Jim. (laughs) I am taking the over for Yohan Mikata at 46.5 extra base hits. What about you? I'm going to say over just because with his speed, it allows him to get extra bases in a lot of different ways. Like he's cleared 30 doubles in each of his last three 
162 game seasons. And that gets you pretty much all the way there when it comes to that. He has enough power to run into 15 homers basically. And, and, and the speed to leg out a few triples as well. So I can see him clearing 50, like 60 is within reach when he's, uh, you know, on top of his game. The, the thing about his fastball, um, you know, his aggressiveness, his recognition of fastballs, what have you is I wonder you know, if it is like a, a COVID type situation where he just feels a little bit compromised physically and turning around, I'm wondering in order for him to have punished fastballs in 2021, if he would have had to cheat on them in mm-hmm. a way that made him more susceptible to everything else. So he more or less said like, I'm just going to survive against fastballs. So I don't sacrifice my entire rest of my approach and just swing over everything, swing ahead of everything, pull everything foul. Uh, that's, you know, off speed and, you know, cause if pitchers are throwing fewer fastballs than ever, I want to make sure that I can put other stuff in play. And hopefully mm-hmm. if he's got his full bat speed back that he won't have to make that choice and he can cover more or less everything or, you know, just th- throw out a random high number here. 80% of the pitch is thrown to him. Hmm. That's a good point. That's a really good point, but we're both over for Yohan Makata, and we are fingers crossed hoping that we see 50-plus extra base hits from Yohan Makata. And if he does that with still taking his walks, Jim, and playing outstanding defense at third base, Makata is going to put up another four-war season at third base. And when you look at Anderson's ability and Makata and Grandal and Abreu, I mean, right there, I think it's feasible out of those four players, you could see 15 wins above replacement. And then if the White Sox can get one to two war out of second base out of whoever they throw at that position, I think you have one of the best infields in all of Major League Baseball. Sure, we could have the argument that there are stronger infields for other teams around the league, but this Mm -hmm. is a very strong unit for the Chicago White Sox heading to 2022. Punch a hole through the nearby wooden item that you have, a door or a desk that everyone stays healthy. (laughs) And they play more than 80% of the games in 2022. But we got a chance to see a pretty special season from the White Sox infield this upcoming season. And one more number I'll throw out with Mankata, just number to pay attention to is stolen base attempts. Um, he mentioned that he wanted to steal 30 bases this year. And for a guy who has stolen three over the last two seasons combined, that, that strikes me as laughable. Like remember when Jerry Owens predicted 65 stolen bases. Yep. That's my, my <laughs> preseason prediction of no doubt. I always come back to is like, yeah, and Jerry Owens will steal 65 bases. However, uh, if you use that more as like just a, a motivational device, I would say if he's running, with even some regularity, enough to steal 10 bases, like 15 attempts, that might indicate that he feels good enough that mm. the rest of his game is more or less back. Because I, th- I think that was one of the byproducts of not feeling great and seeing him like look um, you know, totally gassed going from first to home. True. Uh, we, all, we all remember the image of him just looking completely uh, out in the dugout from just something that was ordinarily not all that demanding of him. Um, you know, and we've seen him that's resulted in five stolen base attempts over the last two years, um, basically, uh, you know, 200 games. So I think if he's back to like, you know, trying to run, you know, weekly, let's say, or like, you know, or I should say like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, every 10 days, he'll try something hit and run, uh, even if it isn't like turn into a stolen base attempt, like if he's in motion more, I think that might indicate that he feels better enough to do damage on fastballs like we hope he will. Well, hopefully we do see that. And again, exciting things are to come for the Chicago White Sox and their infield 
in 2022. But that will do it for this season preview of the Chicago White Sox 2022 season for Sox Machine. And if you just discovered us, you could follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You could follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And for those that don't watch our videos on YouTube, we're going to be doing more during the 2022 season, especially with Sox Machine Live with the regular season coming up. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine, and you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And whether you're new to Sox Machine or a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, think about helping support us at patreon.com slash Machine, where we are continuing to be at an all-time high in Patreon supporters. So thank you guys so much for your continued support. Our Patreon supporters, they get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity to purchase our Sox Machine swag. They also even get to participate in the Sox Machine Fantasy Baseball League, which has 30 teams in it. It's absolutely crazy, but we try to give our Patreon supporters more because they like us and they're supporting us on Patreon. So if you do enjoy our work and you want more from us, go to patreon.com slash Machine and sign up today. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com